go on, go on. This is you. This is it. We love it, the mate. We love it, the mate. We love it, the mate. We love it. Go on. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. Britain's regressing to the 19th century and doing it with our eyes open. Hi, welcome to the show. We are back again. Is this our third episode or fourth episode of season six? Oh, it's our 54th. No, it's our 54th, which third what? episode. What? You didn't even know that, innit? Yeah. What doing his homework? Really excited to be joined by Moitri Basu, Dr. Moitri. Doctor now. As of, <laughs> as of October 2018. Huge congratulations. Thank you very much. We are going to talk about Instagram today. Mm. really interesting topic which I think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing about because what I was saying to you when we were talking previously is that what I really like about these sorts of topics when they include sort of digital spaces and they sort of speak to the theory that we're often trying to come to terms with and complicate and they sort of bring to life lots of these things in a way how we interact basically Uh in the everyday. I think for me, especially like India on the rise and Instagram being a big social force, it's, mm-hmm. like I said, it's interesting. And I, and I don't think many people, unless you're looking at that part of the world, especially in Europe, yeah, it's, off, it's not on the radar. There is actually a really interesting work on Instagram in Pakistan and activism that was published. So that was really interesting. Um, but I think it is quite rare to have, you know, sort of non-white perspective from like non-white users of the mm-hmm. platform. I know Crystal Abedin has done a lot of work on Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So from Global South, I do know that there are people who are actively doing that work, mm-hmm. not just on Instagram, but on like other digital platforms okay. in general. But I still think that this is still very much a minority I know, definitely. Voice and uh, there's a lot of interesting things are happening that challenges some of the these perspectives from the global north. So, break down your research for us. Okay, always the most difficult question. <laughs> Sorry, I know. <laughs> All right, so my PhD research was really about this genre called literary journalism slash narrative nonfiction, written by Indian writers about Indian marginalized subjects. And the reason I did that is because I felt that there was a sense that India and Indian people were talking and being talked about in a different way in transnational spaces, transnational media spaces. So often we would see sort of excerpts from these books or even sort of articles written by these writers on The Guardian and The New York Times. So that really excited me. Yeah, so after my PhD was over, I kind of took forward some of the things that I explored into looking at what, I mean, obviously these were like Indian writers, but kind of looking at what sort of more general Indian middle-class people were doing, how were they thinking through issues of class, relating it to sort of activism on a transnational platform, and how were they kind of negotiating the sort of cosmopolitan identity that they were creating. So I thought that there was definitely a sense of them being Indian, but also a global citizen, and they were really sort of doing it through this performance online. How were Indians looking at those subjects in that space? Was it detrimental Uh to the subjects, or are they trying to create an image of India as a new nation, as equal to America and on that kind of world stage? I think that's always the question that got asked, and I think that... You have to realise that for these people, just like a lot of other people on Instagram, their main motive is not to represent India. Mm. Their main motive is to represent their lives, who Mm. they are. 
who their friends are. So they're doing exactly what you and I would do on Instagram mm. or like someone else would do, you know. And they were interacting with a lot of celebrity content, a lot of branded content, just like anyone else. And so um, the way they were, they did end up representing India, the way they did end up representing other subjects that were not like probably a part of their daily live rural subjects for example i say subjects rural individuals you know that was incidental rather than central to their narrative and i felt that although it is important to pinpoint that there is there are problems within that narrative but there is also that's not what they're doing i should caveat that what i should say is mm. basically when people say use instagram mm-hmm. it reflects especially in the west yeah it's how aspirational life so it's reflecting how rich your how material your yes. life is so in that kind of context India being an upcoming nation having lots mm. of money now is that what they kind of show even like in Equatorial New Guinea mm-hmm. they're one of the highest rated properties in, in Africa mm-hmm. but they, their leader takes those pictures on Instagram of how many cars he has so it's, it's to kind of show you the nation's doing well in inverted commas yeah. that kind of notion but maybe that's sort of an incident maybe that's yes, a, incident, no, it's, incidental it's not, it's not the, it's not the point what you're saying is people are constructing yeah. their own individual yeah. identity yes. but I guess I suppose like by focusing on uh, people who are focusing on um, you know uh, constructing an identity that's yeah. uh, in some way sort of activist or some yeah. way you know speaking to certain marginalised um, political concerns mm-hmm. um, whether it's LGBT rights whether it's sort of liberal politics um, uh, caste, you know, we talk about caste system, mm-hmm. talking about the government might be, um, you know, shutting down journalists. Right now, for example, you know, last week, weekend, Kashmir uh, was a big issue. So things like this, through these issues, you know, obviously the people who are actually talking about this, it's already kind of a subset of that, you know, yeah. uh, the global Indian population on Instagram. So I think I'm not that confidently able to talk about what everyone mm-hmm. on it, like everyone yeah. with an Indian identity is doing on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose that there are people who are definitely, or, or they could be doing both. So yeah. they could be actually uh, showing this really cosmopolitan lifestyle yeah. where they're flying to like these uh, destination uh, holidays, but also they're showing another side of them, mm-hmm. very similar to, again, what you and I would do, mm-hmm. perhaps by showing you know, some form of awareness of these issues and thus kind of trying to create, like, construct an identity that's not wholly materialistic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually quite interesting Mm -hmm. because just because I think it's not really been talked about in those exact, you know, the duality of it. Yeah, I find things like Instagram a bit tricky because I don't... How how is identity formation understood in Instagram? Mm-hmm. It's a kind of fractured thing. Yeah. Because what identity are you putting forward? You could put up one that's totally false. You could yeah. like it's a very difficult thing to put down and to kind of center. So I don't know. How did you find that in your research? I'm not too sure if you encountered that problem. So I think well. Um, I use sort of uh, performance uh, um, in communication theory, so kind of Goffman. So uh, look at kind of communication, any act of communication is performance. So that's how, so, you know, in terms of identity, I suppose it was also that I'm just looking at it as a performance. I'm not really interested in seeing if that's a real one or a fake one or how real or fake it is. Mm -hmm. The idea is is always a performance. Um, I guess what's kind of interesting, and I don't know if you spoke about this in your PhD, but Mm. using Goffman he even says still that even though the way we live is performed it's still influenced by other people 
Absolutely. So, like, Absolutely. our performance is social. Social, and it's sort of, is it, does it do like the mirrored self thing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The relational. So, how do we, yeah. how can we make sense of that in terms of Instagram? So, is it, is, we looking at other is they mm. your subjects looking at other people mm. and that's how they yeah. perform like online yeah so that actually that's really interesting thanks for asking that so I looked at the kind of concepts around genreification specifically affective genreification and what I mean by that is the fact that they would look at I mean things like hashtags are like an easy way but also what are some of the um, kind of emotional genres that are prevalent on Instagram what are celebrities for example how are they constructing identity what are some of the ways in which they're using the platform and then trying to find content from their own life but like just trying to find mimic it mimic it in a way that is still true to their everyday I think that that's where it gets really interesting because in a way it's sort of transnational Mm -hmm. but still located within the person's everyday so it's sort of in a way, forming a narrative which then starts to resemble some of the narratives that they see on the platform itself. How are you conceptualising the marginalised then mm. in, that, in that space? Yeah, so that's actually really interesting. I was just telling Chantal before we started recording that in my PhD, I looked at, um, you know, I, I basically just defined marginalised as well, within the text that I looked at, there were either poor, there were sex workers who were poor. So queer, lesbian, gay people who were often poor. Often they would talk about women's issues, rural issues. So it was quite a broad definition of marginalised subjects. I think what was really interesting was that I wanted to focus on the way that these people were written about. So the kind of the way that uh, narratives were marketed was that, you know, um, that these people don't actually, they're not represented as well as they should be or could be because somehow they fall outside the middle class well, represent, you know, the, mm-hmm. the middle class um, centre, mm-hmm. let's say. So there was a sense of like centre and periphery within the accepted notion of the marginalised. So I didn't quite challenge that in my PhD. Mm-hmm. I am challenging that in my um, my current research, mm-hmm. which is, of course, with Instagram, the idea is that I, and perhaps you, would be able to look at a photo and say whether it represents a marginalised individual. Mm-hmm. But how? So it's the idea of like visual representation. What are some of the, again, genres of uh, representation? You know, maybe it's to do with genres, maybe it's to do with um, certain other characteristics. So one thing that I noticed was um, Indian rural subjects were often represented as not... um, as lacking some sort of temporality or temporal movement. So they were always kind of, their life is very much unchanged. <laughs> you know, their life is this thing that, you know, the every day is like very similar to the day before. How were these, uh, those kind of photos kind of mm. put together? Like, are people just taking pictures of these people or mm. are they images that have been shared online or? Mm. Um, so uh, quite, I mean, I guess there's like a big... Um, diversity of um, these photos and they do need to be so as I do the um, sort of coding I'll actually get into 
differences within these photos. Um, there are, of course, people who are like journalists mm -hmm. who are um, writing about these issues that I studied in my PhD, um, who are now on Instagram and they are, you know, they're actually posting these photos. They're uh, writing kind of in captions. They're kind of writing some of the story, linking to the bigger story in the bio. So that's really interesting mm -hmm. because that's just a different kind of communication, a different medium that this is happening. These narratives are being put, put on. But then there are also people who are probably, you know, social entrepreneurs Perhaps they're just people who are activists or they're people who are uh, actively interested. Um, so they would actually, you know, perhaps in their everyday life somehow interact with um, with different groups of people and then and then post those photos. So it's, it's uh, interesting because, you know, there is um, obviously the... Uh, the individual sort of life, which is often quite middle class, and then, you know, and then the next photo might be something that is very, like the life is, like the experiences are very stark, mm -hmm. or the differences are quite stark. Um, sometimes the differences are not that stark. So the focus might be how similar, you know, we all are. And we've kind of heard that in different contexts, the fact that we're all part of the human race or part you know we're all uh, the same we all have similar emotions and I find that kind of interesting as well in its own way so it's kind of got you know what is the motivation behind those kind of posts that I'm interested in looking at when your people are posting stuff is it to kind of reinforce or guard that kind of middle classness hmm. it's all right speaking of equality yeah but you know you're middle class and they're yeah. not so I guess I think this speaks to what you're trying to ask, T. Is yeah. it that so you're, the people that you were looking at, they were marginalised in the sense that they belong to um, various groups that fall outside of what we have deemed mainstream. Mm -hmm. Like, were they themselves middle class and sort of talking about issues to relating to yeah poverty that you've spoken about mm. on behalf of other people or yeah. were they themselves living those lives and had instagram yeah. as a way to show yeah. that the fact that i didn't even say that in the beginning yeah just tells you how different the context is in india right. okay because there is very little chance if almost zero that any of these narratives, especially um, Instagram narratives, would be um, about marginalized, would be people um, narrating their own lives. Okay. That's because of not just digital access, but also language. So English um, is something that is considered quite, definitely something that is uh, quite middle class. It's, it's kind of, you know, middle class education would have English as its first language. We see more and more a, a different kind of English or English becoming a bit more commonly used by mm -hmm. other people. And so there's like a democratization sort of happening mm -hmm. and opening up of that space. But still, I think it's quite uncommon for uh, people who, uh, you know, are, are really poor, like domestic workers, for example, or people from like uh, quite rural poor backgrounds to be on Instagram and okay. to be writing in English. Mm -hmm. And the audience as well. So the, the, these stories are not written for other people who are marginalised. The audience is middle class. The writers are middle class. So it is a very middle class space. Mm. So the representation is, you know... It's it complicated. Is, it's, it's complicated and it's contested. But do they say that in India, is that status seen as being problematic, being it's a middle class space yeah. and they're representing marginalised people to their own 
to their peer group. To their yeah. So there are different ways in which people would talk about that. So, you know, obviously uh, it's an issue that, uh, that the media spaces, these media spaces <laughs> are, are so middle class. But I think um, the main thing is that uh, the question then is that should these issues not be talked about at all? So there are writers who would say, well, you know, we are not hugely comfortable talking about it, but then we definitely want these issues to be mm -hmm. in the forefront. We mm -hmm. want to make sure that these issues are there and they're being discussed. Um, so, Sorry, question, yeah. just before you carry on that. Is anyone making money? Yes. <laughs> so this is where it gets This like is where it gets complicated. Exactly, exactly. Well, well, further complicated. Exactly. So people are making money are making for money. posts. They're not necessarily living the experience that they're no. showing on Instagram. No. Um, yeah, it's com. It's yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not. Th th this is just a case in point of what happens on Instagram. This happens in all. Absolutely. I think it happens in for all issues that people can yeah. make money from marginalisation yeah. and then not necessarily be living those experiences. Yeah. So I mean, I will say that um, on Instagram especially so before as i said my phd um topic these were journalists who uh you know who became authors and then they were clearly like you know they're selling books yeah so there was that there was a very different kind of celebrity and uh, money that was associated with it on instagram um there, obviously there's there are those people who are on instagram and they're talking about the books they're talking about their articles that they write and, and that's part of what they're expected to do mm -hmm. as journalists and as writers but there are also other people who are uh, perhaps not directly profiting from it mm -hmm. but I would say that they are still profiting from it in a different way mm -hmm. so an identity building brand building as we call it mm -hmm. um, is a big part of that so yeah that is definitely problematic What's interesting about what you said is that the argument can't be that binary. It can't be they no. either get representation or they don't. No. Like there has to be somewhere in between. And I guess yeah. that's what some people that have good intentions maybe are trying to do. Like, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's quite complicated because especially if you are talking about these issues um, at a transnational state. So if, you, if you're doing it in the global north, if you're doing it in the States, if you're doing it in the UK, these journalists have been able to um, talk about some of these people in, you know, the biggest journals mm. um, and often complicating narratives that have stayed stale for a very long, you know, long period of time. So it's um, like, for example, one of the authors that I studied and he's a really fascinating person, his name is Aman Saiti. And I was lucky enough to interview him. And what he did was during the refugee crisis, um, he actually did a, a published correspondence with a German journalist. And he talked about his experiences um, in sort of... Uh, immigration or like kind of crossing borders um, by people like l lower class people, mm. lower socioeconomic class people and how that is so different to um, to how like immigration is kind of experienced by middle class, upper class uh, people. Mm. And then he kind of uh, spoke a lot about the politics of um you know, asylum seeking and sort of, ref you know, the refugee mm. crisis, as we call it, in mm. Europe. Um, and so, if anything, it was definitely a view from 
uh, that was, uh, you know, outside the global north. So whether it was middle class or not, it was middle class. Mm-hmm. I think it was still, it still complicated some of the, yeah, uh, some of the of discourse course. around yeah. these issues. So I think it's still interesting to study and it's still kind of useful in these ways. Um, but I think, you know, they are aware that these are still, you know, this is not ideal. <laughs> and who are we? And who are we to talk like, like the the global north? How we communicate digitally and how we've communicated like for digital? Like mm. we extract. Like you can't. It, it wouldn't be right for me to criticize the people within your research for yeah. for not actually living those experiences because from the beginning yeah. of looking at them they're already mar- more marginalized than they're, what we are do you know what i mean they're not yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not as rep- not as represented as what we have in the global yeah. north does that i think that's exactly it yeah. but also i don't think that that means that we can't yeah. critique but what it means is that we might have to change the way that we critique because why are we holding these people specifically yeah. responsible for representing everyone every- yeah. everyone i i think it falls into that kind of category of the global north looks at yeah looks at india or anyone in the global south in a, in a certain particular way Absolutely. that through a certain lens yeah. so we want a a narrative that we already understand absolutely and so when we're looking at so when they're looking at it, indians talking about other indians mm-hmm. we want them for the global north we understand it and we understand certain stereotypes yeah. So we want to talk about the caste system or... Yeah. Yeah, it's things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that those are really important concepts and they're really important kind of issues that definitely should be talked about and should be brought mm. back again and again. But I think that it's also important to not crucify people yeah, who are doing their job, yeah. of course. as we all are, and we all, no one can say, you know, I, I, I'm more than anybody, mm. Um that we're not benefiting in some ways by fitting in to existing categories of what's expected and the narratives of who we are, our brands, mm. etc. Um, so I think that it's it's good to kind of critique these things, but also not to the point where we're kind of dismissing their life spark. Mm-hmm. So course, I, I was, course, yeah. uh, and Lauren Berlant calls it sort of, sort of the, cyn- um, the critical, but not the cynical lens. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you know, we need to be saying that there is a way in which narratives can redress some of these existing representations, but we need to be kind of constantly vigilant in uh, looking at existing narratives and mm-hmm. w- wondering if it's doing its job as well as... And, and in a way, I mean, it's also the question of who is responsible. You said yourself that there are these genres that exist, that these categories that exist mm-hmm. already. So obviously, if someone is um, a journalist, they themselves are not, you know, they're not going to change the system mm-hmm. single-handedly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They need to pitch to their editors. They need to get it accepted. They need to, um, you know, if it's a publisher, a publishing yeah. house, yeah. a certain audience... So it needs to be understandable. And my PhD work really looked at some of the sort of narrative strategies that these writers use to bridge the gap um, like, like, between the experiences that, um, that you know, sort of these marginalised subjects had and what people from not just the global north, but just from Indian upper classes would understand. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these um, narratives were from, oh, well, th- these stories or these uh, kind of... Um, articles by, were written by someone from the middle class or from the upper class mm. 
in India, it made it easier for us, uh, for an audience from a similar background to actually empathise. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah so yeah. you can see how actually the proximity to privilege could actually be beneficial for... Perhaps. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are definitely also problematic the pro- yeah, there. there's, Yeah, there's... But, but, but that, yeah. It did serve that purpose. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and also there was this access to privilege, mm-hmm. which I suppose they did capitalise on. Mm. Um, so I forget what who that was but you know it's, it's sort of um, looking at kind of attention economy but you know for activists you know how activists are using mm-hmm. this on digital um, spaces mm. to get attention for certain issues mm. and what's the what's strategically the best way to do that yeah. and it may not be the most uh, democratic or the most sort of but I mean so it will have inherent yeah. problems but it, it's also kind of putting those issues onto the forefront. But also, like you said, there's the degree of practicality to it as well. Like, hmm. they're gatekeepers and you have kind of access to these gatekeepers. Yeah. Yep. So that, that makes it makes perfect sense. I don't... Again, I guess I'm just part of that kind of entrenched way of thinking. Like, where... How you lay it out makes sense. Why would you use the existing roots yeah. and speak to people who are speaking about these issues yeah. in a, from a local point of view, in effect? Um... From a, what do you mean by local so point of view? They're there. Yeah. And it's, it's well, experiencing or seeing stuff mm-hmm. in the Indian context rather yeah. than a journalist kind of looking in. But I guess looking in is something that a lot of Indians, and I'm from, uh, I guess, kind of up, uh, from middle class, mm-hmm. uh, which means very different things in the UK and yeah. other contexts, by the way. But um, but it does feel like looking in when you're looking at these lives, just because, okay. just because it's just simply not written about. It's not, okay. uh, you know, it's not represented in any way. So it could feel like looking in for us as well. Okay. So the audience is not necessarily, um, you know, maybe they weren't in the beginning, um, kind of global at all. Maybe mm. there were. Actually, in some cases, definitely, um, were Indian upper and middle class people, mm-hmm. and once they actually got uh, the attention of that audience, mm-hmm. they were then able to kind of write books or you know pitch their articles to a more to more global publications mm-hmm. um, based on their portfolio of these writings that they've done for national newspapers, mm-hmm. and uh, they were able to get a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked at the differences in the way that they sort of position their work. Okay. And often it would just be kind of explaining the context of certain things. Like there was a, a story on love jihad. I don't know if any of you know about it. Um, so yeah. for a Western audience, so in India, everyone would know what love jihad is. It's yeah. basically um, <laughs> a lot of uh, Hindu fundamentalist organizations actually spreading news slash rumors that um, Muslims are actually trying to take over the nation by do, by um, getting high yeah. caste mm-hmm. Indian women, uh, girls, mm-hmm. some of them underage to fall in love with them and then marrying them. And that's uh, called okay. love jihad. Love jihad. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's so it's quite interesting because mm. you wouldn't you wouldn't really sorry, necessarily sorry, sorry. know that. Yeah. Um, so writing that for an Indian audience is very different from writing that uh, for a, a, a foreign audience, yeah. of course. And it's something that... It, I'm we, actually quite intrigued. I might, I might Google that later. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send you the link. It's, it's, it's really, it, it appeared in um, Granta as well. Mm. So you can see that, you know, he... he he um, he was able to actually publish it in, in I think came out in Granta and then an excerpt was 
republished in the Guardian. Mm-hmm. So he was able to get get into international audience. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, like I said, and those kind of things. Like I said, until until I start reading about stuff like this, and like you'd be so unfamiliar, especially those yep. things in that context, like yep. love jihad. Like when you say jihad over here, people just think wasn't going to war but that kind of once you contextualize but that's it. actually exactly what they think it, this is it war is, that's what it is it's just yeah. another that's what way it of yeah it's actually yeah. kind of then policing women even mm-hmm. more under the guise of you know Muslim people are going to kidnap you <laughs> yeah. and so stay at home so it's like yeah. it's just on so many levels and this yeah. is happening in rural India okay and um, and so yeah it does often feel like people you know, looking into these issues mm-hmm. um, as an urban kind of upper and middle class Indian, um, and in my case, an expat um, mm-hmm. Indian. So, I, I, you know, I do understand where it comes from, but at the same time, you know, I still don't know everything, and I definitely don't know what's happening in Indian villages because we just don't have that news coverage mm-hmm. anywhere mm-hmm. in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. So, I guess a lot of the kind of identity construction of these writers were to ch- was to challenge the mainstream media, mm. mainstream Indian media. Mm-hmm. Could um, I get you to talk to a little bit in- about Instagram? Yes. So, like, the genealogy of Instagram, how we are where we are now, because I know even more recently they've yeah. made some changes to yeah. the platform. Yeah. But, yeah, would you be able to talk to that a little bit? I don't bit? know how much I can actually add yeah. to that, but... Um, I think my understanding of the platform, so um, very recently some scholars have started looking at Instagram a little bit more seriously, I would, I, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. So before, you know, we're kind of looking at like selfie culture and uh, mainly what like uh, celebrity, how celebrity culture gossip and um, mainly young girls, but also the discussion was really quite, you know, about frivolous activities. Um, and more recently, we kind of looked at how much, uh, for example, uh, Instagram micro-celebrity, like how much power a lot of these lot of young girls doing frivolous things have on those platforms, right? Um, so I what think... What do you mean by... Sorry, who do you mean by young girls and fri- what do you mean by frivolous? So I think that uh, a lot of it, what, a lot of the literature that I saw, uh, saw in like popular media was about sort of beauty bloggers and they were really kind of... Um, uh, under, under 60 under 60 because when you say young girls I'm thinking like kids or do you mean young women no young women okay women so it okay, could be yeah, you and me yeah, like yeah. you know and okay. the stuff that we post women, that's, okay, that's always yeah. considered quite frivolous um, and not of interest to kind of mm. um, you know society and culture in general yeah but I think we're kind of seeing like you know these platforms do have like people who are um, popular on these platforms do have um, quite a lot of cultural capital cultural capital yeah, yeah. that's being I mean obviously brands were like the first um, entities to sort of capitalise on that so we do see like the literature moving away from that and considering it a bit more a bit more seriously and I'll be honest so I actually uh, up I submitted an abstract to speak at the Instagram, Instagram conference. There's an Instagram conference? There was an Instagram conference <laughs> in Middlesex. Wow. Um, and you should look at, I think there was, uh, there's also, uh, it's it's coming out very soon. Um, it's a special issue on social media and society. Oh, brilliant. On Instagram. Yeah. Wow. So there was one on YouTube at Middlesex yeah. a couple of years ago. And then last year, I think June, there was one on Instagram. So I just, mm. I, I think I just wanted to kind of, 
be part of that conversation. Mm. I was in, I was getting a bit more interested on um, digital audiences and what uh, people who self-identified as Indians, so not just people who live there, but also people like me, mm. um, people with like who at some level of their like fractured identities they are Indians um, what they're doing on those platforms as audiences and also as cultural producers um, so I thought that I would actually like send in an abstract and then it really turned out to be quite an interesting topic and so I got more into it and it's become sort of my postdoctoral <laughs> so I do have um, a few interviews so I, it's quite nascent uh, because What's that mean? It's quite, it's quite new. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I haven't really done, like, I haven't yeah. done the entire research. Yeah. Um, but I've done, um, I've done a cu- like a couple of interviews, and mm-hmm. I just have, to d- yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've got some more scheduled. Yeah. Possibly later this month, so I should get more. Once I get more data, I'll be able to sort of. So in terms of, so you're saying in terms of social research, people are starting to take over the last few years. People have started to take mm. Instagram a lot more seriously. Yeah. In terms of the actual platform itself, yeah. why do you think it became so popular? Ooh. Um, I don't know if I'm the I'm the best person to like give an overall view of that. I think Is it so there's no I don't think I there's think any <laughs> we all can have opinions. We can on all things. have opinions yeah. on it and minds are <laughs> as good or as yeah, as uh, poorly informed as any other. I think that it was about um, in a way it was about kind of it's different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And I think people got really creative with their use of uh, use mm-hmm. of Instagram. But it was really about everyday life and it was visual. So it was kind of a place where you could, um, you know, you could kind of uh, perhaps, uh, what's it called, chronicle your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but also I think, it, I mean, in the beginning, there were obviously the filters, which mm. were which added this, like, you know, everyone can be a photographer. Um, the filters are actually better than the filters you get on the phone, aren't they? Oh, much, much better. Yeah. Like, no yeah. comparison. Um, but also, there was, uh, I think, Instagram stories have added a completely different mm. IGTV. I think these have, um, I mean, starting with Snapchat, that's actually kind of really captured the attention of really young, and even younger yeah. audience. Um, I personally think that's great because there might be some, things that I'm doing every day that I don't want I don't want it to be an Instagram post but I'm happy to share as like oh this is what I'm doing now mm-hmm. and I know it goes away in 24 hours yeah. so it's actually a really cool feature that you can then start using it more in your life but you see my problem is and why I came off the platform was mm. the thing that you spoke about earlier performance yep. everything becomes a performance Yeah. and if you want likes you have to perform all the time yeah. and like you have to be in it all the time and I think that takes away from, well for me personally my mm. personal view takes away from the authentic life I'm not a, it's, it's like your life becomes like a TV show yeah and because you want to grow your grow your fan base your audience you have to keep posting Tiso uh, you, you've got to give some context here Tiso you used to, you used to have like how many followers did I you have? I had about 6,000 followers yeah, twice 6, followers. I, I came off twice do you have a personal story just to share? Uh, about your, uh, about Instagram. your Instagram what? story. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it, in all seriousness, like I said, after when I started thinking it, mm. how it made you feel, how it made me feel. Sure. So I'm what, having. What kind of posts were you posting? Do you know what, right? Try it. Trainers. Yeah. Cartoons. Okay. Music videos. Bodybuilding. Yeah. No, not, Initially, no, initially, stuff, initially yeah. it started, but then I just took that off because I thought that's pretty boring, man. Everyone's yeah. doing Instagram, so I just posted stuff that I like. Yeah. And 
in the end, I like 80s stuff, 80s cartoons, like Transformers, nonsense, really. Yeah. But people seem to like nonsense. Hmm. And then as you start going on and start getting more followers, you're thinking, you start recognising it now. Yeah. So who, who are these followers? I think you're doing yourself a disservice there because you were... You basically formulated like a fan base based on your trainer collection. Yeah, yeah, 100%. as in like you were not like you were known by but, other but, collectors. Uh, and but this and is people wow. would come up to him and be like, "You're the guy from Instagram who, who has who has the train who has the amazing collection. trainer collection." Yeah, people come up to me and say, "But this is the that thing. still happens as well." <laughs> this still happens. People, or people come up to me and say stuff to me, but you don't know me. I think that's that's and, what the issue is because this, th- because what you're saying is that you put put. Um, you try different kind. You tried to show different parts of yourself, yeah. and then one of them just clicked, mm. and you got this like massive, you know, fo- uh, yeah. base of followers who followed you for that. And then you were like, "Well, but you just know this part of me," and it's that's a, dis- what it's you a like. disconcerting thing, though. Like mm. when I started mentoring kids, yes. uh, and these kids are 13, yes. 14, and one kid came up to me and said, "I've got about twenty thousand followers on Instagram." Mm. He's thirteen. I said. I don't even know yeah, 10 people. Oh, I yeah. said, I don't know 10 people. I said, how do you know? He goes, I make beats. And I'm like, but you've, he's hardly got any pictures on there. Yeah. So I'm saying, so I, I don't know how. And the effect it has on them yeah. and how they behave yeah. is so, it's so poignant. Like, it's so pointed. You can see it. So he does things with like a performance. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to do that. And is he, does he necessarily want to do it? <laughs> or does he feel he has to do it? Mm. And this is, what's, this is what I see happening on a kind of, an anecdotal level. I obviously. think. I think, in a way, like the quantification of, you know, in terms of like the engagement metrics mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. that might be. I, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. that. But then I, that that element of kind of performance of who you are, people liking you. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I'll tell you, mm-hmm. yeah. that's always been a part of how we construct identity. hundred percent. And the element of authenticity that you're talking about, uh, that's kind of something that's quite um i mean in a way we want it but actually it's quite a contested uh concept in its own way because yeah, I, I think it's problematic but i feel like i said the more the more followers you've got the more you have to keep posting parts so you have to keep that kind of momentum going because yeah. as soon as you're not active yeah you become like a boring tv show yeah people switch off and people's attention spans are so especially on social, yeah they'll just move on they move on yes and so you keep performing and, perform, and then it becomes a point where you're consciously thinking of things to post yeah yeah that's what i see I with my that's, that's sort of what i see with my friend i'm the same with you i'm a bit like extrovert so yeah at, when like when i'm not on instagram anymore yeah. and i'll tell you why i came off it um in a minute but like i did sort of see it as a way of performing my various identities yeah. like i would like to think that I'm a basic, like, have run, run my life or try and run my life as close to socialist values as possible. Yeah. yeah. With a with a with injections of <laughs> capitalism through <laughs> shopping <laughs> and shoes and yeah. music and all that stuff. But then that's only that's a little part of my life. But that also relates to my work and mm. like my PhD. And then I have like my family life, which is so prob like this so problematic in terms of like how I want to construct this socialist life as in like, I've got people within my family that yeah. are like quite racist. And like, do you know what yeah. I mean? So that's, all, so there's yeah. like that sort of thing. And and then there's my other part of my life that are my friends that are all like, have lives that are completely <laughs> separate from who I would put on Instagram that, are, that are, do, do not always fall in line with my, the values that I'm trying yes. to yes. sort of say that I'm about. Yeah. And it was that sort of complexity that I couldn't really come to terms with. And then the big thing for me, 
was like the mental health thing. So like looking at other people's lives and yeah. sort of comparing that to your own life. Is it yeah. like people, just little simple things like people on holiday, like people yeah. like buying nice things. Like yeah. as much as I'd like to think I'm above that stuff, I'm not. And no. I would just find myself just sat there for hours scrolling and looking through these people's lives. It's like, how can I, like as someone that studies sociology, studies the way everything is constructed, yeah. be so consumed by and... I think affected by yes, that. I'm I'm hundred percent like that is I say it's for my research and obviously that's not all I do on it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you do I mean, I I don't know how, but I I quite like vintage fashion, but then it just started like the platform itself started showing me things about like nineteen fifties, which is great. Then it was corseting, then it was extreme corseting, and so it does kind of yeah, yeah. you know get you through that rabbit hole mm. in that way. Yeah, um, which is interesting in its own way. It's not mm. my research, but it is interesting in its own mm. way. A lot of my, I should say, a lot of my students uh, last year were actually really interested in the question of mental health and social media, mm. especially Instagram. And you could tell that actually it's something that I think a lot of us have experienced. And uh, when it comes to sociology, mm-hmm. and there are people who are actually um, looking at these issues, mm-hmm. and I can kind of send you yeah, a yeah, few yeah, of those yeah, no, people who are looking. So, um, but then there are also other people who have found uh, on these platforms a bit of a. I don't know, a community that oh, at some that's, level... That's the sort of juxtaposition. That's what's really difficult yeah. about it because if I'd been growing up, like I was a black girl in a white town, mm-hmm. like if I'd been growing up and had a phone and had a device where I could see people that looked like me yeah. and that were living like normal lives, were not sort of... were able to live beyond categories that yes. were assigned to them yes. like in my case race and gender yes that would have been amazing like yeah. that would have helped me so much i think as a kid but but would it have helped would counteract it have... the yeah. other thing, like, but you know how mad i think it is right so um, listen there's obviously people can build meaningful relationships online yeah. through virtual chat rooms and stuff like that but what i find quite scary is is that when I've seen kids do it, obviously on through other social media platforms like on Xbox and that, the other social skills yeah. are not, not, they're underdeveloped. Yes. So, for example, being challenged. But I don't like, know, like, dear, I think like, it's, I think that's slightly presentist though, as in like. Yeah, that's right now. But this, this but, is definitely now. But mm-hmm. I think that. I think there's research that's come out. I'll have a look at this, so don't don't quote me on this. That basically has said that social media does not affect the development. I'm just of... going by anecdote. What yeah, I yeah, see, yeah, what yeah, I yeah. see. So, yeah. Sonia Livingstone's actually really good. Yeah, you know, she's published some recent works like Children. Hmm. I think that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, and social media. We, I mean, I think we have to kind of know that you know we we are living. I mean, our life is actually mediated through screens. Hmm. So there is no space like there are very little like social spaces that are not mediated through screens so we do a lot of things like a lot of our citizenship participation within um you know uh civic life mm-hmm. political life through Screen. our work it's all through screens and, and, so. and, and i would and i'd still maintain that's definitely problematic because when i worked in the city when mm-hmm. i'd done any deals any big deals yes Screens go out the crowd. You have to deal with someone face to face. When you when you come to any institution, yeah. you're gonna to have to sign a piece of paper and talk to someone. Yeah. And so, these skills, which are I don't know, I, I can't speak to them, but anecdotally, what I've seen, yeah. maybe on the way, they're 
necessary to navigate the real yeah. world. But there's loads of people that haven't grown up with screens that are shit at that stuff. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Are you adding more to that? I don't yeah, know. Hundred percent. Yeah. You see what I mean? So yeah, it's interesting because but there I, are these new. Sorry, go, go on. <laughs> no, go on, go on. This is you. This is it. We love a debate. We love a debate. We love a debate. We love it. Go on. I think I was going to take your side. Yeah, that's why I cut you off. Go on, go on. Horrible, horrible. Um, the thing is that it's also. I think that if you there's like a massive claim like social media is taking away these skills but what skills are they how are they affected and I think that um, in some ways they're also new skills that kids yeah, are exactly. learning I would definitely they're agree bringing... with you 100% like I've seen how they kids communicate they communicate in ways I can never do multitasking yeah. in ways I could never do and I know stuff and I know well. stuff and, it, and like I said and one of the things I was most impressed at, at this level of skill they had mm-hmm. but then equally when I talked to them directly yeah I was like, they would freeze up and rather text me. Okay, so and that, and, that, and that was and that to me is like I said, it, maybe it's, it's anecdotal, yeah. but like I thought, that's that's strange. So, what kind of conversation are we talking about here? This is not conversation. I'm just a, I'm like a mentor. I'm not telling them what to do. Oh, we're, we're right. having we're having regular conversations. Okay. And sometimes just be it I've done a sheer laziness or whatever. They would yes. just want to, rather rather than speak to me and I'd yeah. be sitting here. Yeah. They'd text me. I'm like. That seems like a confidence issue, and I think a lot of people do have that. I this is the thing. I don't. But I, when you when these guys I knew, mm. they were very confident. But mm. should we? If we, but if we, if we it's anecdotal. Yeah. Percent, it's if we rolled it study. back, though, I see what you're saying, T. But if we rolled it back mm. and actually thought about how even beyond kids, so everyone that's mm. using screens, how if we don't maintain control of the screen, then you're relying on it. As in, like, I'm thinking now, when we finish this, the first thing I'll do is look at my screen. Yeah. I need to look at my screen. Do you know what I mean? So so yeah. not necessarily in terms of, like, how I communicate, as in it's a reliance yeah. that yeah. is possibly, that transcends age, yeah. that I think will be one of the tests, one yeah. of our big tests in the, in the coming years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, in a way, let's say, um, I mean, all of you, you're Londoners, right? Not, well, T's an East Ender. You have to be specific about that. You have to be very clear about that. <laughs> I am. I am technically a Brummy via Medway right. Town via London. Right. Yeah. So you've got family here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the two of us have. You know, you've got your family's clothes. You've got yeah. probably your friends are mostly here. I've yes. gr- I've grown up in Dubai, and for me. Oh, wow. And yeah, and the thing is, um, and Crystal Aberdeen actually kind of wrote a tweet that really resonated that when she does um so she does like ethnography of digital spaces and i mean your questions i think i would really say that you know check out her work mm-hmm. um but she was saying that you know she has been traveling so much and she's been living in so many places she, um that it really it kind of like where is home and where do you feel the okay. most comfortable and often it's on the internet you know it's you know I can be anywhere but then the fact that I can just text my mother or I could have a phone call with my, or not phone call like a Skype call with my mom or like I can see what people are what my friends are doing via Instagram via well. Instagram yeah, with images yeah. yes like that would actually like that everydayness whether it's an illusion or not would actually give people uh, like me, some sort of consolation of being really, yeah. honestly, having no home. So, or like even building a home, what would that look like? And um, and I think that it's it's true that there are 
you know, the people who talk about, okay, you need to be present and you need to enjoy, you know, your social company. What if you can't? What if your life really is not great? <laughs> you've got no friends, you've got family that are not around. And that's when you do actually see um, the benefits of this. I mean, you were talking about, you know, I don't know if you grew up in a white neighborhood, but yeah, like yeah, yeah, encountering yeah. this racism yeah. and knowing people who are like you. So for me, I was a feminist communist living in Dubai yeah, I don't even know but how yeah. I did that. But but the internet, like blogs and things like that, back then it was blogs, but yeah. also that was really important for me to at least know. That's good, isn't it? That's good, that's a good I, I way of looking at it. I think that's the point. Yeah. Like, but for me, like, me personally, boom, like, I'll just do things. I don't really mm. want to look at other people. Like, for me, I just chronicle my own life and share what I share yeah. with people. I don't see... Like when I when I when I moved away and moved along, it was no social media, mm. so I just did what I did. Sure. And then sometimes I've got bad memories. Yeah. Sometimes I've got good memories, but yeah. they're memories and they become embellished over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it becomes part of me, and and huh. and so whether I saw whether I had people whether I understood if there was networks out there or not, they wouldn't have understood my story because it's my story. I don't know, T. I think you're. I don't think. I think you need to. I think you have to take it outside of your own experience in this context and think what it's like. I agree. I agree. I think actually, even in your context, I think I can see what the issue is. Because mm. the thing is, if you had to, um, if you, let's say you were Instagramming your uh, experiences, right? Mm. Th- what you said, you were embellishing the narrative. You were so, changing it. As you think about you, you fine. Think about, yeah. But you actually suddenly you can't do that anymore because actually Facebook will remind you exactly what you thought about it 15 years ago. Yeah. So you see, there is uh, yeah, where we actually come across, um, you know, the the kind of pressures of having a single identity, a single right. digital identity. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think that's yeah. that can be lethal. That like, can be lethal. And this is the kind of, that kind of pulls into one of the things. Yeah. Like one of the things that the kids will do yeah. is take a picture of the other kids' failures and mm. put it on Instagram. So a kid yeah. might want to ask a girl out, and they take a picture. Now that's happened to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's something that's happened and people have forgotten about. Yeah. But now it exists. Oh, yeah, there's as no a digital, escape. There's no escape of your part and things that you don't might necessarily want to remember. Mm. But you you have to know. I guess in that way, I mean, as a media theorist, I would say, um, well, disconnection from your actual reality. Books did that. You know, that that um, I think the concept, I'm not sure. It's, it's not transcendence. It's something that sounds very similar. Sorry. Yeah. But it's basically where you disconnect from your actual surroundings. Yeah. And you, get, you get transported. Yeah. You basically get transported to another world, yeah. right? Um, so we've actually bookish girls have always been or bookish people mm. they've always been celebrated like you know it's a, it's a good trait um but not so if you're actually burying yourself in this alternative um world an alternative world but you know a digital world mm. um often by calling it virtual what we're doing we're saying is this is real that's virtual and i think those kind of categories don't actually work that well no. for people's experiences um and the second thing is that um not just books, but when writing became mainstream and also not mainstream, when writing, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. the printing press, etc., that yeah. also produced some sort of like um, permanence to certain thoughts and experiences yeah. that then did kind of restrict people in certain ways mm-hmm. and they're you know they're changing thoughts. So they, you know, people had to like they've always had to actually find different ways to construct. Yeah. identity and now this might be the way but I guess what's different 
what what could be I, I agree with what you're saying yeah but I guess what how you could maybe counter that with what Tiso's saying is that you could put those things down mm-hmm. whereas now we have these things yeah. constantly in our hands yeah perhaps I don't know but again I guess you could always have the but you the print and press like that's not going that's that sort of evade that invades life doesn't it but I just mean everything yeah. is on that screen that we hold in our hand for a lot of the time in but the like, day. I think that, that conceptualisation of the virtual of the virtual <laughs> and real life mm. as two separate entities, that's definitely not true. It's they they're joined. It's it's a mismatch. Yep. And this is it's not that it's problematic, but it's are you reflecting the virtual world? Or are you reflecting the online or the real world? Which one are you in? Mm. Sometimes I think it's like um those guys that go online and play those massive online player games. Yeah. They're in the real world, but they're spending a lot of time in there. They're not. They're not too sure which is which now. Yeah. And again, sometimes this Instagram life. Like I said, I was constantly thinking. First thing I wake up yeah. is what to post. Yeah. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go for a run, but the uh-huh. first thing I'm thinking in my head is what to post. Yeah. And to me, it wasn't until I st- st- uh, stepped back and thought that's not really normal. I think what you're trying to say. Um, is that you weren't alone in your head anymore. There was no space even in your own head that wasn't, that allowed you to That's be alone. It. That's a powerful way of thinking. Yeah, 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 That's it. And it's, yeah. sca- it's scary. It's scary because yeah. actually when you're alone, you, because you're kind of policing yourself, you're actually narrating back your own experience even as it's happening. And now we know now we that know. these big companies yep. are making money exactly. from that self-policing that we're doing. Yeah. And I mean, actually, um, it may not be what they intended in this exact way that it would take mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this, but it's definitely what's happening. Yeah. Um, but that policing, that you, mm-hmm. you know, that I think, unless we know... I mean, that's why I'm interested in, like, genreification, I suppose, because you are thinking in... Like, basically, you're making sense of your experiences through the lenses on that platform mm-hmm. this in itself is not unusual it's mm-hmm. just that now it's kind of a little bit i mean it gets hyper i'm i suppose part of the old school gym tradition yeah but i go to the gym and everyone's taking pictures for instagram and yeah that is the most jarring thing for someone <laughs> especially if you do this i've done this for like 20 years mm-hmm. and i see that and i think so you don't take this thing seriously yeah like you're bringing something that's going to cost like your phone minimum what, yeah. 500 pounds maximum, f- 1,000 pounds. I've seen boys bring iPads to the gym to take pictures and he put it down and it broke. Oh my God. Just because the weight rolled over. And I'm like, this is the level, it kind of, that online behavior generates a level of narcissism that I've, I haven't seen before. And especially in bodybuilding is a super narcissistic sport That's, anyway. Yeah. And this is next level. I've seen guys say to yeah. me, can you move out the way of the mirror? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, are you joking? He goes, no, I'm dead serious. I'm like, oh my God. But do you think if you saw proof of that making them happy, that it that you would feel more comfortable? Like- I, I, I don't think they are happy. Yeah, okay. So I don't think because so, like, yeah. just, yeah. by, just by definition of what That's we're doing. Because I don't think just the fact that you've seen them taking pictures is annoying you. As in, I think there's more, I think... Like you, you're much more multi-layered. Like, no, it's you, like, you, it's, it's like, I mean, but the pictures are symptomatic. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you're not yeah. focusing on what you're doing. Yeah. You're more interested in the gram than what you're doing. And what you're doing is lifting up pieces of metal that can hurt you and hurt other people. Sometimes they're not even paying attention. 
And like I said, that's a dangerous thing. You're, and plus you're in a place with people. Mm. I guess you could apply that to other ways in which people use Instagram as well. Like you'll be like walking for a station and like someone's yeah. doing yeah, live yeah. Instagram. It's like, can you look where you're going? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, as PhD students, can I ask, what has, um, so there's this, uh, I mean, you might know already, but there's a community, um, well, hashtag ECR chat, PhD chat. So yeah. these are on Twitter and on yeah. Instagram uh, as well. Have you used it? So and we use it for the, t we do, we use it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so we, use, so we use, we'll use hashtag. Oh yeah, that's chat. how I find it. Yeah, yeah we'll use chat. hashtag yeah. academic chatter, hashtag PhD yeah. chat. Yeah. Good, very good, very good online. So what has been is. your kind of, well, not yours, because <laughs> you don't know about it, but what has uh, been your kind of experience on it? When has it helped you? What has it helped you do? Or? Um, what, is, what do I use it for? I think I, I think we we use those hashtags to get a broader reach because it's an international hashtag, uh-huh. as in you'll get um, PhD students from around yeah. the world using yeah. it. Um when I mean you found us through that hashtag yep, so I put out exactly. a call for yep. more guests to come yep. on that were um in particular we were looking at pe- people that are talking about race in different issue mm-hmm. in different ways mm-hmm. um for me personally I think even though I think my and T's positions differ a little bit on this stuff I think I come back to T's way of thinking in terms of how I help myself as an individual think yep. and work academically as in I'm much more reliant on yeah non-digital forms of oh yeah support if that makes sense yeah so I actually um when I was doing my PhD um so I did it in Middlesex and it's not I mean I think I was kind of the first cohort of people I mean maybe not the first cohort of people ever to do the PhD but like a first proper cohort yeah okay um so so there was really a lack of kind of this offline support that was readily available. Oh, so it was really good for you. It was. So yeah. I did kind of go to, uh, I mean, eventually I ended up, you know, kind of making my own network through like presenting at conferences and things like that. Mm-hmm. But on an everyday level, like when I'm okay, I'm working on the weekend mm-hmm. and having a look at other people who were working on the weekend, some of them like highly stylized shot, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of them having lives that are completely different from mine I don't really know as you said like it didn't really always look real but just um I guess sometimes we do need those kind of narratives about our lives to feel good about or like to kind of justify what we're doing um and yeah there's like a thin line between when they can take over and make you feel guilty for not working so stylishly (laughs) you know your notebook's not like the exact angle uh, and they're not you know it it, it can sort of take over I suppose I I don't know I think again I guess it's your demographic who you're appealing to I think my demographic was people people you're posting to when they meet you it's like realness and that kind of demographic has to be real Mm. so when you're meeting me you're this I'm showing the same which I've shown on Instagram and that's especially to that demographic it matters it matters a lot. This that is a trainer community. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. just trainers, like even like the, the bodybuilding stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, what I'm doing is that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So if like, yeah. Go on. So, so I I'd never especially if I'd you'd never look at another bodybuilding's website because that's him and his oh. work and what he's done to because your body's all different. But I think know? okay, but I think if you're thinking about um, context here yeah. you were just talking about academia I definitely when I was on Instagram and sometimes when I, I do it now so when I'm on Twitter I'll signify yeah. to my followers that I am doing academic work yeah I'm performing that yeah. like it's like I'm saying 
Like, I'm, it's not that I want to show off. It's almost like I'm doing it for myself <laughs> as a way to be like... Yes, that is actually, I think it's quite important. I think a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of us... And it kind of makes you think that other people are doing that too. They're doing it for themselves. Mm. Um, so, obviously, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but most of my friends are not academics and got same, no idea. <laughs> Family, no. Uh, no sorry, sorry. <laughs> Tisa just flying around the mic. Um, <laughs> so I think it was a way of sort of yeah. Um, also kind of explaining what that work is, why yeah. is it, like kind of representing. No, I definitely did that on that, Instagram. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, as you said, like it was very much for myself. Um, if I can actually just say one more thing go, go, about go on. research and, and what we're talking about, yeah. um, I would see often this idea of like authenticity, the realness, like um, uh, that is, and how that's kind of reflected or how it's used or how, oh God, how, how people who are like writers or journalists, how they uh, interpret that or how they kind of mm-hmm. signal they're real or authentic how they construct that, rather, that's the word, construct. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when you write a piece, so usually you just like write an article or write a piece, um, and then that goes off. And then, But I think that on social media, so definitely on uh, Twitter initially, uh, some of them would have blogs, but now on Instagram as well, they would give this kind of backstory which would have more of themselves in really? it. Okay. So it would have their own kind of more... Um, personal experience with the story, yeah, yeah. which I think that audience is actually really connected yeah, to. So you, they read the article. You contextualize, they contextualize. Yeah, the or they read the experience, like, you know, personal aspect, and they'll be, okay, actually, that's pretty cool. I'm going to go read the story. Mm-hmm. So I think it does give a more human angle. So that's how, like, in terms of this particular research, like, authenticity was about, like, okay, this is the you know product of my uh work so this is what i've actually produced mm. and something that i'm getting money for mm. but this is actually something that is either personally meaningful for me or this is how it um you know merges with my own personal experience of i don't know like researching for the story mm. um so creating that i think bond with the reader i suppose where mm you know you, you're showing like oh no I'm, I'm a journalist but it's you know what I do and how I see people and how these stories are produced are actually quite relatable mm-hmm. and then you see other people who are well I guess um, audiences mm-hmm. they would often kind of do this thing called produce Sarge, so they would actually uh, produce their own like similar okay. narrative so the, the, yeah. you know the, um, which I think is quite interesting because of course then that that's how Instagram and like these platforms actually do end up sort of opening up the space for getting more, um, yeah, more voices to mm. actually weigh in on these, um, yeah, rather than just people who are like professionally journalists. Yeah. Some of them might actually be like, um, you know, they might want to be journalists in the future and they think, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to use this as a portfolio mm. or whatever. But yeah, some of them just probably are just, you know, um, Inspired yeah. by this style of how's Instagram going? Sorry, Instagram. Yeah, good. I think it's, it's, it's going well, especially no, after how, Facebook. How, how, how many years has it been going now? Oh, how, oh. oh, good question. Um, 2000. Oh no, it was only available. I know this because I moved to London. <laughs> 2012. Really? So 2012. It so before that, I think it was. Oh really? 
2012, it was, before that, it was only available to Apple users, and then it became, I think everyone could then use it uh, after 2012. See, I, 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 even when someone said to me, go on Instagram, um, sorry, sorry, go on Instagram, I didn't, I didn't understand what people were doing. I didn't, no, I didn't, I didn't get it. I, I didn't really get it. Yeah. I didn't really understand. Well, I was actually working in a marketing agency at the time mm. in London. Mm. Um, and so I kind of knew that there was, it was coming about. It was coming about, and there was also like the communities, mainly like kind of photography communities, uh, amateur f- photographers mm. who were really getting into it. So they would actually it was about the community. Okay. So that's where they were using the hashtags, um, geotagging, mm. and stuff like that. And then obviously, it kind of went from there. Okay. Very, very interesting. Okay. Thank you so much for such a stimulating discussion. Like, I love having guests like you, um, Moitri, because we get a space to talk about the everyday, but also learn how we can apply it to theoretical life. Like, I like, just learn a lot, man. I just yeah. sit there and learn and talk because I didn't know anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you weren't lying. You said it was informal. I'm yeah. so happy. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you, listeners. Just again, thank you so much for everyone that's been supporting us. Um, If you are able to, please don't worry if not, or if you know of other parts of your institution that might have the means to do so, we still have our Patreon. You also get mini episodes, which will be on, which will be available after each of these free episodes. Um, Tisa is also going to be posting some blogs on our Patreon as well. Um, Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am. I am. Tisa writes like daily blogs basically about the news and me and George are just like like we need to start publishing these so well, I just write stuff because well mainly because I'm annoyed that people write a lot of nonsense really um, <laughs> and I just posted Chantel because I'm just ranting I can't rant at anyone else so we decided yeah, so to post yeah so we're going to publish some of these as well and you'll be able to see them particularly if you're a Patreon supporter um, but yeah um, a lot of them will be free though so yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Me. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, and there'll be some links in the episode guide um, for awesome. you to look at more stuff about digital life. Yep. Instagram. Okay. Thank you.